You're listening to Treating Blood Cancers, the LLS podcast series for professionals. We will be joined by cancer experts to discuss blood cancer diagnosis, treatment, side effects management, and the importance of clinical trials. They will share their experience in treating patients and discuss strategies for optimal patient care. Let's get the conversation started. Welcome to Treating Blood Cancers, LLS podcast series for professionals. I'm your guest host, Lauren Berger, Senior Director of Professional Education and Engagement at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Thank you for joining us on this special live podcast episode being recorded at the 10th Annual Meeting of SOHO, the Society of Hematologic Oncology in Houston, Texas. Today we are joined by Dr. Saad Usmani, Chief of Myeloma Service at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center to discuss highlights from attending the SOHO conference. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Usmani. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So, Dr. Usmani, I think it's exciting to attend in person after last year's virtual-only conference. My understanding is that there are over 1,700 people attending this in-person conference and many more virtually. How's the conference going for you? It's been going really well, and it's good to be in person for these large-size meetings. And, you know, the advantage of arranging such meetings is there are thousands of other attendees around the world that can now listen to what we have to say, the knowledge that we have to share through the hybrid model. So, yes, we have, you know, these live meetings, but they have these hybrid components to them. And social media also helps us propagate the messages and the key learnings that, you know, from these meetings. So that's what makes it exciting. So, you know, I'm not just interacting with my colleagues and peers live. You know, there are questions coming in or someone wants to reach out about specific pieces of data that are being presented through social media channels, and we can engage them that way. Absolutely. I've noticed in some of the sessions that I've attended, the questions are coming in and the speakers are up on the panel and they're looking at their phones to see what questions are coming in from the virtual attendees. So there really is that interactive aspect and it's very exciting because we've gotten some really good questions in some of these sessions. So great. In the myeloma session you spoke in, you presented a debate titled CAR T-cell plus or minus maintenance will replace auto. Tell me about that and about some of the other topics discussed in that session. That session was great. And, you know, I was accompanied by some really smart colleagues in the myeloma field who are actually leading those trials. So we had uh, Dr. Storm Martin and Angela Dispensieri who were chairing that session. And then my colleagues, uh, Pete Voorhees and Rafael Fonseca and Amrita Krishnan and, and Sagar Lonial also spoke alongside me. And we essentially covered a lot of open questions and debatable questions in myeloma in the frontline setting, as well as in the relapse setting, and also looking at endpoints for studies. Pete Voorhees laid the groundwork for frontline treatment, making the case for quadruplet induction treatment, and then, you know, what would be the optimal management post-transplantation for transplant-eligible patients, and then also talked about transplant-ineligible patients. My job was to try to debate uh, Dr. Krishnan on whether CAR T-cell therapies, which are looking very promising in relapse space and moving into the frontline setting, whether they'll be replacing autos in the future. 
And Dr. Krishnan, rightly so, talked about the fact that autos are done globally, they're cheaper, and they're very effective. We know their safety profile. And I made the case that, you know, high-dose melphalan, which I'm a big fan of for our myeloma patients today, may not be the future. And we have good single-agent therapies. These immunotherapies are looking very active in more advanced relapse patients, and there's no reason to believe that they won't be active in the frontline setting. We just have to figure out the sequencing part of it and also make them globally available because these are expensive treatments. So we had a very nice back and forth and questions from audiences that were very relevant. And, you know, I started off by saying that I'm actually on the losing part of this debate to begin with, but I'm hoping that I can convince a chunk of people to come my way. So I thought that was a win for me because I think a third of the crowd was with me by the end. Yeah, I think there was some excitement in that session just because of the debate that was going on. And you could just see it in the people standing up and asking questions at the mic. And then those of you on the panel. So yes, totally agree with that. So in another session, you talked about bispecific T-cell engagers. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And also, is there anything we can learn from these studies in myeloma that can be applied to other blood cancers? So interestingly, my second debate topic was against Dr. Tom Martin. And this time, I was actually defending bispecifics against CAR T-cell therapies. And here, I think, you know, we have had a lot of challenges with the commercialization of BCMA-directed CAR T-cell therapies that have been FDA-approved in myeloma. We had IDACEL that was approved in the spring of 2020, and then Siltacel approved in the spring of 2021. But despite their promising approval and activity, because of logistic issues, manufacturing woes, you know, and supply chain issues, each of the transplant cellular therapy centers only get one or two manufacturing slots a month. And we do have a lot of patients who need those therapies. So the point of that debate was, will bispecifics that are also looking very promising, you know, showing 60 to 70% overall response rate, can they become more practical solutions to the needs of our patients, especially from, you know, from the community standpoint? I like the idea of the one-and-done approach with CAR T-cell therapies, but as Dr. Loniel sometimes says, the one and done sounds great until the patient relapses. So I think we haven't seen that plateau with CAR T-cell therapy yet in myeloma. And so whatever option that you can get your patient at the time when they need it would be the right choice for our patients. So that's where, you know, the whole debate was. And interestingly, with both of these debates, there were a lot of parallels with some of the lymphoma data. There were debates around the role of auto versus scars. A lot of patients, especially in the salvage therapy, patients are getting CAR T-cell therapies preferentially versus autologous stem cell transplants in uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And interestingly, even for certain other in indications where autos were not used as commonly, such as in follicular lymphoma, we're seeing more CAR T-cell therapy use because there's an FDA-approved indication in it. And so there, too, that the debate was, okay, what's the appropriate use of CAR T-cell therapies versus autos in different non-Hodgkin's lymphoma disease subsets? And the second part of the debate that we heard in talks was the emergence of bispecifics because 
there too. The lymphoma side, we have a lot of biospecifics that are making their way into the field, and they're going to be posing the same kind of challenges. Our lymphoma colleagues are having the same kind of logistic woes with CAR T-cell therapy, just like the myeloma guys are. So I thought there were a lot of very interesting parallels throughout the SOHO meeting that I learned from as a myeloma doc. Oh, interesting. And how about referral, like from the community, referral early for consultation? How does that fit into this? I think that's important. But even if there is a patient who might be eligible for CAR T-cell therapy, each of the transplant cellular therapy centers have a wait list because we can't get our patients the slots they need. So there's a little bit of frustration on the community end as well that, yes, you know, you have patients who are PIMED, anti-C38 refractory, they're getting to their fourth-line treatment, and they need a BCMA-directed option on a clinical trial or commercial, and you can't get them that option they need. So this, again, makes the case for biospecifics. You know, there might be a steep learning curve for our community colleagues, but there's no reason why I see they can't use biospecific therapies out in the community. If anything, for me as a clinical investigator, that poses a challenge two or three years from now when community is using biospecifics and we are seeing post-biospecific treated patients being referred for clinical trials. So that this is where, again, you know, cellular therapies may come to the rescue and we might be having another debate in two or three years from now where we are saying the total opposite, that it will be cellular therapies that eventually win the day. Interesting. Thanks for that. So what are some other interesting inflection points or interesting presentations that you've attended over the past few days? So in myeloma, I would say that one of the things that has been really striking for me in this meeting and other meetings in the summer is this Previous debate about three versus four drug induction isn't very relevant. Most academicians in myeloma have accepted that the data that we have from the Cassiopeia trial, from the Griffin study, from the master protocol, from some other protocols that have published on the quadruplet regimens, the German myeloma group frontline study. There's a UK myeloma group study looking at actually a five drug regimen for high risk patients. So looking at some of these single-arm studies as well as randomized phase two studies, there is a growing consensus that, you know, quadruplets are a way to go, which is very interesting. And it, you know, in the past, having lived through close to 15 years, you know, of uh, seeing myeloma therapy development, there wasn't as much consensus about the frontline treatment approaches say, over a decade ago compared to how quickly the data is emerging and everyone is coming together towards that consensus. The overarching theme is we have to get our patients into sustained MRD negativity. During that first year of diagnosis, getting them to the best depth of response is super important in trying to get to that goal. And the other theme that I'm hearing is that the most relevant endpoint that helps us make treatment decisions is PFS in the newly diagnosed setting because it's going to take too long for the OS to actually read out. For standard risk patients, you know, based on the available data, we're now seeing a median OS of 13 years. If you want to improve on that, you have to wait at least 12 or 13 years to see OS differences. And, you know, sustained MRD negativity and PFS, uh, for the most part, are very reliable in, in telling us where the OS will be in myeloma. So, you know, a long answer, but a lot happening in the field. And those were kind of like the key messages that I was hearing from the various talks that my colleagues were giving. Interesting. Thanks for sharing that. 
So um, is there anything else that you want to share on improvements in therapies or side effects management that you found interesting or anything that wowed you, whether it's in myeloma or any other blood cancer? I remember going to talks a few years ago where there was a lot of concern about uh, cytokine release syndrome and neurotoxicity and infection risk uh, with some of the newer immunotherapies. Those data are still shared, but there is a sense of... um, uh, you know, comfort that me and my colleagues appear to have because we have become familiar with how to manage patients. I think the infection uh, risk piece of it, we are still trying to, you know, figure out the best practices uh, for different diseases. Uh, but, you know, there's a good level of comfort. The other thing that I do want to share is uh, some of the NK uh, cell-specific strategies. There were some, you know, data that were shared at the meeting that in other heme malignancies that are relevant to uh, multiple myeloma, and I'm looking forward to some of those data in the future. Thank you. So, Dr. Rosmani, did you have any interaction with trainees at this conference? That was uh, a very joyful experience for me. It was, you know, so I had live interactions. There are a lot of um, fellows, both clinical as well as, you know, lab-based postdoc fellows who are here. And, you know, at the SOHO meeting, we had these lunch one-on-ones orchestrated every day with different experts. So I had, you know, formal interactions with some trainees in that fashion. I had some trainees who would just walk up after a session and just, you know, strike a conversation and seek advice on a particular project, or they would see me sitting in the lobby or, you know, talking to someone and just approach us and, and we'll, we'll have a chat. So I think having those kind of interactions is encouraged and essential in the field. And then, you know, there were other trainees who were just, uh, you know, inboxing us on social media about specific points raised in the conversation. So I think that interaction has become very dynamic and very informal uh, compared to how things used to be, you know, when I was a trainee. And we actually encourage that kind of interaction because it's these young people who are going to, you know, cure these diseases and take care of these patients in the future. So we need to nurture them and support them as best that we can. Absolutely. I saw so much of that going on in many sessions at the conference. It's wonderful that you had the opportunity to speak with the trainees and other attendees. Thank you, Dr. Ismani, for sharing this exciting information on the progress in immunotherapies and blood cancers. I've enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening to this informative episode. For a listing of all our healthcare professional continuing education activities, podcasts, and resources for healthcare professionals, visit lls.org CE. Information specialists at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society provide personalized one-on-one support to help patients learn about disease, treatments, financial, and other support resources. And LLS Clinical Trials Support Center nurse navigators are available at no cost to help healthcare professionals and patients find and answer questions about clinical trials. For questions or to refer a patient to LLS specialists, please contact our Information Resource Center at 1-800-955-4572. And I encourage you to sign up to receive notification of future podcast episodes by subscribing at treatingbloodcancers.org. LLS also offers a podcast series for your patients and families at lls.org podcast. We look forward to you joining us on future podcasts. 
Thanks for listening to Treating Blood Cancers, the LLS podcast series for professionals. We can be found on iTunes and other podcatchers. You can subscribe at www.treatingbloodcancers.org and provide your suggestions for future topics. Visit our archive section on our website for other great podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Keep up with LLS by following us on Twitter at LLSUSA and on Facebook at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And access our professional continuing education activities by visiting lls.org CE. Let's keep the conversation going. Until next time.